Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Welcome to episode 48, recorded on November 22nd, 2022. On the last program, we spoke about the future of vending machines. We're going to continue on that topic, but we're going to blow things up even bigger. Stand by for a talk with Shamir Jaffer, the CEO of Signify Systems, a company that's looking to revolutionize this space in a host of different ways. First, though, it's Grant and his peculiar brand of tech news. All right, Grant, uh, you find stuff in the tech world that no one else seems to find. So what do you got this time? Um, I, I got some stuff that you could find, but I thought it was interesting enough because of we talk so much about it, and, and you know a lot about it too, but um, I, I watched a really interesting video in, in, in Euronews on their, the, the police robot, okay, that is in, um, in Seoul. And so what's really cool about this robot, and, and by, by the way, I, I fully understand robots. Obviously, we have our own, and, and that's why. It's, but this robot patrols around the city along the sidewalks. It notices all the things that need to be done. It also, at the same time, it alerts police when it sees anything wrong um, immediately. Um, so it patrols around and it'll call, a, it'll call 911. Um, it'll spot anything that has to be done. And, and I want to, I bring it up because it's being used and they love it. And, and it had zone style light navigation with LIDAR, which of course, again, I understand really well. Um, and the idea being is it'll be there to keep people safer. Um, it goes through the parks. Even has a siren, and a toddler, when a toddler starts climbing a fence, um, this thing is going to you know every little thing that you could think of that needs to be seen. Of and of course, when a robot comes, what they do is they notify people the robot's coming. So that and the reason for that, believe it or not, it's for privacy concerns. If you don't want to be patrol, you can get out of the way and stay at not being seen. And by the way, that helps a lot if they didn't want to attack people, walk along the sidewalks then. But um, if they hear the word help me, it calls the police. If they hear the so it has all the audio meanings, um, obstacle meanings, and it complies with all the, um, what they call the South Korea Personal Information Protection Act, which governs the protection of people's um, um, privacy and so on. So I bring it up, Alan, for a couple of reasons. As you know, I've been trying to launch my own um, and I think the fact that it has been so well received in Seoul, and, and by the way, Seoul is a very American city. Um, if you've been there, it's like being in the U.S. Yes, I have been, and you're right. And so I think that um, there, there was a lot of red tape to start up, and I'll put the company out of business. But I think it's fantastic. Sorry, when I, when I think of a police robot, I immediately think of RoboCop. Hello, citizen. I know you do. Please drop I know your guns. you do. I know. Yeah. And you know, it's not that. No. So it's a robot that rolls around, looks like a little robot, kind of looks like the one we have, Moby. It's, it's unassuming. It's very evident. It's not a RoboCop or a humanoid. 
And remember I told you that many times, but if you make it a humanoid, people will not like it. They'll think they're being taken over. I understand that, um, yes. You understand? And so I think, um, look, it, it's big. They did it, and uh, we want to follow suit. And um, I'm going to be following them very closely, but they're helping humanity. And I'm sure, by the way, saving money and safety as well. Okay, so, so um, now we move from a different area because, as you know, um, the big areas that I look at as well is green technology. And you're probably familiar with the, what's been going on for years with the transparent solar cells. Um, and if you're not, transparent solar cells are, are basically, they're clear. Mm-hmm. You can't see the solar function. And what it does, it absorbs, in the old days, and I'll say last year, <laughs> it absorbs sunlight, stores it, and then transits out for power into, into um, electricity. However, um, the issue still, like any solar, has always been the ability to take um, this, the sunlight and, and store enough energy to utilize for, uh, for example, Alan, you could do all your windows with clear solar cells and you wouldn't even know they're there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That really is cool. I, no, no, come on. You, you got to admit, like the worst part of solar is the solar cells themselves, okay? So that's already been tested and been working away on along with it, right? But here's what's the key. They have now figured out how to take ultraviolet rays, so therefore you no longer need the sunlight, as long as there's the sun, and it stores them into the cell, and get this, it converts it to the proper sunlight that then turns it into energy. Oh, okay. So you, it, it basically tricks the system into saying, okay, I now have sunlight. And by the way, um, I want to tell you something. Conversion efficiency is a thousand times better than today. Did I just see that in the news the other day? It's in the news everywhere for about the last two months. Okay. I, I did see a story just yesterday, as a matter of fact. And I thought there you, okay. a, th- uh, a thousand times greater efficiency than the regular photovoltaic cells? And, and you know what? And, and when you think of that, um, it's a way they store it and transmit it, right? Um, so when you think of that, now, by the way, for this to come out in a commercial um, setting, it's probably five to 10 years away. But think of everything we talk about. We all know the best way to conserve energy, whether it be machines I make or cars or houses or buildings or, or farming or whatever, is solar but it does not work everywhere. If this truly does happen, it probably makes most batteries obsolete as we see them today um, and really changes the world, which by the way, I'm not shocked again, we always find ways to be better, but there's been a lot, this is not something new as far as we wanna go this route. The critical thing is making it work in in a retail or a commercial setting. Um, now, remember, what you could do as well, you could layer the cells. So you could patch them on top of each other and get more and more. <laughs> I had a meeting with some people last weekend, um, and what we're, we're, it was a metaverse meeting. But your, what you just said and what we've been talking about recently and what I heard at this meeting the other day was that there is so much stuff in the pipeline that is going to be ready in two to five years that the amount of innovation that's going to be coming at us in a very short period of time is going to be tremendous. 
it's almost going to be overwhelming. Yeah. And I'm, some people are going to be kind of con- concerned about that because of, of, of the nature of this technology and the human interaction and behaviors that it's going to require. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's awfully exciting. Well, um, and boy, you lead me into my final subject for today. Are you aware uh, as well? And we're going to stay with this because I just think these are groundbreaking things about um, the solar panels made from recycled food waste. Well, say that again. What? Solar panels made from recycled food waste. So they look kind of like glass. They're colored. Um, they're not as nice as the clear ones, but essentially what they do is they harvest the ultraviolet sun through dense cloud coverage, and then they store it and, and produce energy just like you do with, with recycled food and all the other types of waste that we do. So they take air, okay, so drinking water. Um, they can harvest from just the air. Water comes in, it essentially, it, 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 it carries through the um, recycled uh, solar panel or solar unit, and then it creates energy. So it's, um, it's pretty crazy. They call that, by the way, hydrocells. But, um, but the point is, is now we've got this one idea here doing this. Now we've got, we all like it. Um, fruits and vegetables, so you know, waste, they absorb UV light. I, I don't know if you know that. I did not know that. Yes. And so the solar film converts to visible light and energy. Now, you didn't know that, but let's say you did. This makes total sense, doesn't it? Like, I got this waste vessel that creates solar energy, stores it, and now create energy. What else would you want? I mean, um, I don't many people know this, but because it's a resin, it can be applied to fabric, your clothes. You could walk around warmer. You could put a patch on your phone. You could put a resin over your phone and it charge as you're walking around. Um, and that's the difference between the other ones that we talked about where they're big cells. This will be a film or we'll call a resin and it can be applied to anything. Anything. There, you know, we, we, <laughs> the news is filled with all kinds of bad news about, um, you know, the environment and climate change yeah, yeah. And, and, and all these horrible things that are going to befall us if we don't do something. But it turns out that we are doing things and that we, there is hope. Because if oh, we can, if we can, har- if we can harvest solar energy in the ways that you're talking about, I mean, let's, let's you just know, back up. Let, let me just yeah, throw this in there. Yep, 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 you yep. know, 15 years ago, no one was talking about electric cars. No one. And no. if, if some, you know, wide eyed visionary said, you know, one day in the future, the internal combustion engine is going to completely disappear and all our cars will be powered by electrons. It was like, oh, Right. Yeah, you know, here, we heard it, he, but it was a joke. It was a yeah, joke. And, and here's why it can't happen. Reason yeah. one, reason two, reason three, reason four, reason five. Fast forward to today, and by 2035-ish. It's a race. Now we're in a race. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be eliminating most internal combustion engines. But so, think of the other, yeah, and, and, and you were talking about mankind, which it helps. But think of this one. If you're truly using this renewable energy, do you know the, the radiation? that you get from these other energy sources in agriculture and all these areas are gone. So think of all the things that go away, like cancer. Um, yeah. Because when you migrate to these units, you have less exposure to all these other different footprints that cause disease. Good and, point. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, no. I'm like, if I wasn't in the business I was in now, Alan, this business really blows me away. Okay. Um, and of course, living in Niagara Lake now, I think about all this stuff. I'm thinking, okay, what can I do? You know, um, but I think that we talk about crazy technologies all the time. And we should, by the way, because a lot of them become reality, whether it's flying cars or robots. But there's some amazing things that are being done that, oh, are going to make people very wealthy. I get that. But they're businesses that are going to change the world, which is kind of what we all want to be part of. If you've been doing any kind of travel through airports over the last six months, you've probably noticed an increase in the number of vending machines. Not the kind that dispense cold drinks or chocolate bars, but machines that dispense everything from over-the-counter medicines to expensive electronics. And chances are, those machines that you saw were built and designed by Signify Systems, a Canadian company headed up by CEO Shamir Jaffer. And just wait until you hear where this company plans to take this space in the future. Let's begin by talking about Signify and what Signify is is all about. And then we can kind of go back into your history and discuss some of your tech entrepreneurship. So that's a good jumping off point. So Signify has been is founded about 16 years ago. And the company has three very clear divisions. We're very, very enterprise software driven company. But we also have a, a unique um, personality in that we also also in hardware. So we do engineering, electronics and mechanical engineering. And then the third third part of this is we take all our technologies, hardware and software, and we in, we do integration and create solutions, global solutions. In what field? Corporate uh, and uh, retail, I would say. So if you're going to think of anything where we can use automation uh, to improve reduce costs or increase revenues. So either it's retail where you see machines at the airport, like the source machines. So she's talking vending, she's talking vending machines and automated. Vending or locker machines where you're really figuring out how to continue increasing sales for retailers without without the human factor, right? Mm. More automation. Let's, let's go through some of your clients. Who have you done work with? Uh, on the retail side, we've got uh, a flurry of accounts, but uh, these, the ones that stand out the most right now with Bopis would be Canadian Tire. Uh, Best Buy. We have Best Buy, uh, The Source, Bell, Hudson News. Um, those are just the retail clients. On the corporate side that Shamira mentioned, we've got a range of them, but the most prominent one that we're been feverishly working on for the last 12 plus months would be Google on a global level. Wait, yeah. Google retail? What? Huh? No, no, Google. Remember, it wasn't just retail. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah Google is uh, corporate. So if you imagine corporate, um, imagine a, a place like Google or eBay or PayPal, any of these large corporations, Comcast, you know, they have hundreds of thousands of employees, like seriously huge volumes of employees. So even if you had, say, 3,000 employees and you have to manage their laptops, oh, my, my mouse is dead. I need a new keyboard. I need a new headphone. It's a very, very high touch. You know, it's cost. It's a costly area to manage. So what we do is we create automation in these locations. So we put a vending and a locker solution. These are quite intelligent. They're integrated into their en- enterprise backend. So we know, for instance, Peter's allowed, uh, you know, three headsets a year and X, X amount of uh, dollars a year he could spend. And so he can go to the vending machine and, and get these headsets, get anything he requires 24-7, 
you know, there's no, I mean, it's just completely seamless, right? It just goes by, takes its stuff, and everything is tracked. The assets are managed. Uh, as well, if his laptop's broken, he can come to a locker, uh, locker door will open, he can put his laptop in there, get a loaner laptop, continue working, right? In the meantime, in the back end, the technicians would know that there's a laptop there, they'll be able to fix it. As soon as they return the laptop to the locker, Peter would get a message saying, hey, your laptop's now ready for pickup. So what is done is taken away, <clears throat> if you imagine in the past, uh, and actually started before COVID when people started being very mobile, you know, you'd have an IT guy with a laptop and he's trying to find where Peter's sitting this week. Is Peter in the office? You know, so a lot of time was being wasted, both for the employee and the IT person. So suddenly you've got a, a, a self-serve solution at corporate that saves, I mean, outside of the fact that it tracks your assets and it's, you know, it does all that stuff that somebody would have to manage. It actually makes life a lot easier, right? Improves employee uh, turnaround and and it really saves IT people time. Let's let's go back to the retail vending machines. I've spent the last week in airports and I've noticed an increasing number of these things. Uh, you mentioned Best Buy. I've seen Rexall. I've seen uh, the Source. Uh, who else have I seen? I, I just know that even in in smaller airports like Edmonton and Winnipeg, there are. It's it's not just I need a bottle of water or a can of Coke. It's it's yeah. I can get just about anything I could possibly need as a person on the go. Uh, if it has to do with anything from toiletries to a USB-C charging cable, it's, it's, it's right there. So that's the kind of retail stuff that we're talking about with you. Yes. That's right. And intelligent retail. So anything outside of pop and chips, you know, where you're dealing with hundreds of dollars of, like if you look at the source kiosk, some products in there are three, $400 each. And so yeah. I, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I was looking at one of these machines in the Edmonton airport. And uh, so what is the difference? Like to me, from uh, like a consumer on the outside, it looks like these are the, the, the Coke machine and the source machine are, are the same thing, but they're not really, are they? From a vending perspective, they both vend. Uh, but the big big difference being is that the Coca-Cola machine is more of an electronics machine, right? You press a button or you put some money in and it knows to dispense. There's very little intelligence outside of that. Whereas if you look at the automated retail machines, uh, as we call them, uh, there's a lot of intelligence. First of all, there's a camera in there. It knows what's being dispensed. It knows when somebody picked it up. It actually has a lot of uh, detail in the back. It allows the retailer to know that products are running out where we're at um you know it's 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 just got a lot more intelligence uh, you know just it's actually got a full server in that machine and, and if you think about just expanding alan the intelligence part of it um those coke machines that you refer to have been around since the 70s um, and they're very basic and what i call traditional and the form factor size are very fixed um, if you look at the source machine that you looked at, that is not dropping a product down uh, where you pick it up because some of the products we carry are expensive. The elevator is actually going and grabbing it and bringing it down. There's actually a wow factor to it um, as well. Uh, but then the intelligence part of it, uh, just recently we're adding digital media to it where now we can promote advertising on the automated retail machine. So another multifaceted, multifunction. 
Um, and this is where kind of we differentiate ourselves between the traditional vending machines compared to what I call the future of dispensing and vending machines. And, and a lot of this vending uh, started to take significance in places like the airport because uh, during COVID, we were dispensing or people were dispensing PPE equipment. And that's now brought it full circle instead of PPE equipment that's not as required anymore, but now to put standard merchandise that a Rexall would want to put down there. Where you're traveling, you may need Tylenol. Uh, you may need, you know, small items to carry on the plane. Uh, so the the merchandising is changing as well. What is the background of you getting into this feature of retailing? Um, it started a long time ago, I have to say. A long, long, long time ago. And uh, I happened to use a machine that had a touchscreen. In fact, in, in Toronto, where it dispensed a sticker for my car. And I think there's one machine somewhere in the East End. And I just absolutely fell in love with touchscreens. And, and this was, I mean, many, many years ago, many moons ago, before the iPad. And at that point, I felt that I felt that it was, I mean, it really resonated with me. So my last company was called Touchpoint, everything to do with touchscreens, and then moved into, into Signify. And um, the philosophy was really, uh, I saw retail struggling. I mean, if you remember things going, photos, photo was a big moneymaker for retailers. Um, you know, just coming in, people coming in and printing photos. Then they moved to digital. Then you saw music stores all having a really hard time because that was moving to digital. Then you saw all these video stores disappearing and that moved to digital. So there was obviously a trend happening uh, that was very, very clear. And retailers were really in a turmoil. And even when online started and everyone knew online was going to be a big deal, it took a long time to, to, take, to have retail kind of accept online. I mean, really took a long time. It was surprising that even years into it, you'd say, well, they still don't have an online online store. It took a very, very long time. But it became quite obvious to me that between online and a retail store, there is that medium where, you know, I, I want the, the convenience. I want to pick it up right now, uh, but I'm not where the store is. And, you know, and I don't want to wait for it to come in. And so, you know, that, that was kind of the beginning of the thought process. And then as, as things moved on and everybody started talking about software, uh, it, it, you know, fewer people in hardware, but hardware is high barrier to entry, as, as, uh, as we know, as Grant knows, right? And, uh, and, but it's required. You can't just expect everything to happen online or for people to travel to get to. Yeah, actually, I think it's turned a bit. I think that it's gone from enterprise software to enterprise software and hardware. So I think we've seen a circle. And and who created that? I, I would say probably Apple. Um, yeah, Apple, definitely. Hey, I've got Apple users. I'm sure not selling a lot of software, but if I connect all these devices and have control of both ends, I have a real strong, and that's why they have loyal customers. And Google's doing it now, watches, phone, same phones. But I think Signify, Instead of doing the little things, they're doing the great big things, Alan, that you probably just spent a house one day. You know, like it's like you, you, your, your, your thoughts can be so big now. And in the world of the cost of retailing, think of the person that she can now put into business as a retailer who actually doesn't have to have a store. 
Well, that's yeah. that's a good point. I mean, what you make up for lack of selection in many cases, because, you know, the, the machine is only got a capacity of so much. But the the 24-7 accessibility is, is really, really exciting. Um, yeah. Again, I was in an airport after all the shops had closed, yet I still needed something. And, oh, there is that source machine that gave me that USB-C cable and the right USB-C cable that I needed in order to continue my business trip. So, uh, it, you know, this, this, exper- this experiment, this, this experience is, is really brand new to me. And I, I, I had sort of an epiphany. It's like, oh, I get it. Well, I think, think of, and I'm not trying to bring in this, this uh, comment because of um, trying to promote uh, and, and be sexist and all this, but I think it's pretty amazing that Shamir's come in and was a serial entrepreneur from day one almost 30 years ago and um, came along and through several startups, like we all do, I would view her and her company as almost a renaissance uh, for women's startups. And well, a lot of people talk about, oh, I'm big the last five years. Um, to have that vision um, and not just to, to go through the, I understand the retail vending, but the, the pickup for lockers at places like Canadian Tire and to expand in probably everywhere um, to some bigger stuff that they can do internationally. I think that um, they've taken the true spirit of enterprise hardware to the next level. I think, I truly think that. So maybe 30 seconds, Ellen, because I think this is important that uh, the segue that Grant just gave there uh, at a significant level, uh, I'm going to ask Shamira to talk about how she took a, a regular size vending machine and made it the size of a garage with WFP project. Uh, she said that's vending, well, but uh, I think it's worth as an entrepreneur, the risk taking um, and, you know, going after something, not just because it's part of the business, but also for humanity and the sake of the good of people. Well, yeah. Tell me about a garage size vending machine. It's actually probably this, three yeah, times, three it, probably about three garages. Uh, but uh, imagine uh, in, in a refugee camp, and there's about uh, over 70 million displaced people in the world. And this doesn't mean they're poor. It just means they're displaced. Their homes have been destroyed, like in, in the Ukraine, for instance. And um, these people end up in a refugee camp quite often. And if you imagine lots of food is donated, but that food has to be distributed. And uh, food distribution requires a human human intervention a lot of human human. if if peter gives me a five dollar bill on the side he's likely going to get more food than than uh, grant right so you know humans can can um, can be you know humans are malleable right so uh, we're building a a massive machine it's a it's called a food atm it's huge and it, it holds tons of oil it holds uh things like rice sorghum salt and so somebody can come in and they have a, a an app on a phone that they would place that would say okay this person's eligible they would hold out a sack and it would fill up with uh it would it would fill up with the amount of sorghum that they're on they have ration their ration for their family Jeez. so it's a massive product and uh but it could be game changing it's going um it's shipping out of here this month and it's going. The first one's going to Sudan, and it'll be very interesting to see how it's accepted 
but uh, it's a very interesting system. It's got an elevator system that you take all these 30 pound bags of food, you, you know, you fill all these massive containers. Cool. Yeah. Uh, but that it's a very, but, you know, it's a, it was a difficult project to get into because we kept thinking, well, you know, it's outside our business. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's still automation. You're still dispensing. It's just you're dispensing to different people and it's a different product. Uh, but we feel that um, it could really be game changing for the people that, that are, you know, going through the struggle, right? What moved you to get into this business? The, 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 the food big distribution one. The business. Big one. Yeah. The, the big one actually was a, a project that came up. Um, one of my salespeople saw the project and <clears throat> I really thought, you know, I was born in Africa. I came here when I was about 13, so I've been here for forever. Uh, but uh, I understand Africa really well because I would go back and visit family. And uh, it was a, pr- a program for Africa. And, and the one concern I had was, of course, I thought the chances of winning were very low because it's a very, you know, it's a pretty corrupt society at the end of the day. Uh, but um, it went out for for an engineering call. And there's about 12 countries that participated, including the Germans and Italians, who are fabulous engineers. And, um, you know, we were shortlisted. And then we won the project. And uh, I have to tell you, I had I thought our chance of winning were probably sub 5%. Uh, so I went along with it, uh, you know, because there was so much excitement around it. But uh, at the end of the day, if I think of how we won or why we won, it's because I came from that region and I know what happens. You get this fantastic equipment. Everything works well for a year or two. And then when it breaks down, it'll sit there for 10 years. They turn it off. They yeah, clean it off yeah, because, yeah. because, you know, these companies will say, no problem, we can come and fix it for you. We need to send an engineering. It's going to cost $10,000 plus, 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 and then it never goes anywhere. So what we designed was a product that can be managed by the local staff. They don't need us to really manage the system, right? It's, it's really designed very, very well thought out that even if we had to replace a part, we can ship the part, they can replace it themselves. So, um, and I think that was, uh, that was a critical, a critical point and a differentiator. It sounds like what you do requires a tremendous amount of R&D. What's yes. your back end like? How many people do you have working for you and where? Yeah, I would say software development and engineering are big departments in this company. And, and we've got a philosophy of uh, innovation all the time. You know, it's, a, it's an exciting place to work. We're always innovating. So if you kind of think is there's the core products that we sell and constantly sell, but the innovation team is constantly looking at how we make, we make these products better. And then at the same time, we're always, you know, meeting new challenges, talking to customers, learning, you know, what we can do better. So, um, you know, and the one powerful thing, and, and Grant knows, you know, when you're doing your own hardware and your own software and your own electronics, uh, you have a flexibility that most people don't have, right? In, in most cases, we see our competition. They're a software company and they're working with a third-party hardware company that is so distant from them, and it's very hard to do anything. Or it's a hardware company with a little bit of software and they have no control over their hardware. That was the thing. So so that was the, the we'll call the buzzword, right? Software as a service. Investments wanted only to see software revenue. But then I thought, what if someone turns off the tap? What do you do now? You got nothing to sell. Um, and so um, I felt the same way when I when I met Shamira and and Peter, who by the way, uh, that other voice is Peter, uh, who is uh, uh, we had on this uh, the, the last podcast uh, in the retail side. Um, 
I felt the very same way as them in that um, to keep in touch with the end user, to control your, we'll call uh, a buzzword, I guess, yes. control your destiny. It was important. And I think everyone's making that trip around now. And you know what? You can't. You can't decide to be a hardware design and enterprise hardware company overnight. It's not like software in your basement. So it's a very difficult venture to take if you didn't take that vision to start with. So we've got the static machines. I can imagine, too, something like drive-thrus. Uh, I can imagine curbside service mm -hmm. of some sort. I can Im Okay, and I got to say it, robots. Yeah. Are, are, are you do anything in the <laughs> areas of robotics? Yeah. Grant can speak to that. Well, I mean, um, first of all, before you go further, um, everything they make is a robot. Um, so let's make that clear. I mean, I've been robots my whole life. And what they make now is a stationary robot that does a lot of cool things. And that's a high, it's a sophisticated stand, uh, standalone robot. Um, now, where are we going? Um, if you can picture the future of the world, uh, and I know I'm going way beyond now, and Shamira and, and Peter and myself all got together one day and said, this is the world as we see it. Um, and we may be wrong, but we, we think we're on the right track. You have these vending machines all over the city, the country, doing all kinds of things. And these lockers, well, guess what? How do we get those people there? Um, how do we make sure they're getting to the curb, driving through the right areas? It's a natural fit to push them through the whole infrastructure. Um, not one piece, but let's make it a great day for everybody from end to end. Um, where is that? If you can automate people moving around, Let's put them right to where they got to go, get what they need, um, have that true customer interface at the machine level, and think of what the analytics are going to tell us. The analytics are going to tell us what to sell, where to move them, what time of day, what's the traffic like. Can you imagine um, what you could do? So, so we came along with our robot, which, as you know, we're deploying right now, and we came along with our computer vision and our Mobiverse and so on. And we decided it was a natural fit to be with Signify, uh, Alan. And then now you've been on a few years of podcasts and um, you know us pretty good, maybe uh, than anyone. And it's just such an easy fit that um, when done, think of a client. They just don't have to ask anything. I was going to say it was in a very interesting uh, seminar recently. It's a company that does robots for medical devices. And they said when they started, there was a robot that would help someone in a wheelchair reach for a cup. And so the robot was the arm. So it was assisting a human. And as they progressed, you know, they now have products that assist a surgeon. Uh, but they said the interesting thing is, well, it takes almost five years to get these surgeons perfected with these using these machines. But as a new generation comes up, it's so natural for them because it's so much like their game playing that they're saying uh, surgeons five, seven years from now will all be using robots because it's just you can be so precise. Right. So, you know, you're seeing a transition uh, with what's happening with robots. Right. It's, in the beginning, it's just to help and to facilitate. And then to save time and then to save, you know. It's just, and to it's just, save money and then to be accurate. And then, and then <laughs> get in your car. And Remember, and the car's a robot. The car's a robot, right? yeah. car's a robot, too. Yeah. So it's not like we're introducing something new. We're just adapting much quicker. And when you adapt quick, it takes slower to get 
get yourself uh, uh, accepted, but you'll be the first. And I think that my idea is that, hey, you know what? I may even send my robot to her machine. <laughs> See, Alan, I could be in an apartment building and send my robot to her machine and pick up my stuff. Yeah, I can see that. You know, guys, don't, don't sound crazy. But, but if you think about it, if you think about that example about the surgeon using the robotic arm and think about post-COVID that uh, I know trying to get my mother to uh, a doctor's meeting is impossible. They're all virtual. Think about that yeah. surgeon now, as Grant just said, from his home doing the surgery because the robot's the one doing the work there. He's just yeah. manipulating it. So, well, then you can take a step further and say it could be the metaverse. Yes. So, see, I know we sound crazy, but it could be. People would have thought five years ago we were crazy having these conversations. And I brought this up on the retail podcast. Uh, I asked you guys, Alan Grant, how many people live in Japan? And it was 150 million. And then I said, how many vending machines per person? And last time the answer was 33. Uh, this week when I checked, it's 22. So look at all things. I still don't believe it. It's unbelievable. It's, it's crazy. I, 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 yeah, and I don't see it being any different here. I don't think that we're not going to adapt the same way, Alan. Um, the, uh, but, I mean, what you got to remember is Signify is a leader in this world, and they're Canadian-based, Alan. They're right here in Toronto. And so um, to be able to have access to that and – Use the, and I'm, I'm not praising us over praising us, but Canadian talent and expand internationally uh, with so many great ideas. And by the way, Alan, we are working on a lot of projects together already, um, which will change much differently next year. But, um, but to sit with a client and say, we understand you from the minute the person leaves their house, right till they drive away to your product, that's powerful. You know, it's interesting you, you talk about the Canadian thing. And even, even when I met uh, Grant, it was quite impressive because I was talking to a company in California only to find that Grant does all of that plus more. And um, what's interesting is for the first seven or eight years of the business, which is, was really hard years, um, most of our business came from overseas. So it was a company in Dubai that would find us. So it was a company in Europe that would find us. Uh, or, or a company in the U.S. that would find us because of innovation, right? It's only in the last four years that we've started doing a lot of Canadian business. So it's it's, it's almost, we almost started that. It's, it's almost like a lot of these famous bands, right? Or famous uh, famous comedians, they go get famous elsewhere. And then, then they come back. They that's a good, that's a yeah. good analogy, by the way, for Alan. Um, yeah, it, it is. And, and, I, and I completely understand that because in my experience with entrepreneurship, uh, if you go to a place like Dubai or Singapore or the United States and you give them something, you'd present something brand new to them, their reaction is usually great. Can I be first or let's get going? You present the same idea to a Canadian. It's like, yeah, who's who else is doing it? Yeah, who makes it? Yeah. And, and you know, it's, that's a sad, yeah, I don't want to be first. it's a sad, it's, it's a sad situation because when you hear about the government, putting hundreds of billions of dollars into other countries and cities and technology companies. When we have such incredible tech companies based in Toronto, Waterloo, um, throughout Canada. And I think it is changing. The guard's changing because I think the Silicon Valley, quite frankly, is blowing up. Um, I don't mean blowing up like they're going to be gone. 
there's a changing of the guard in the Silicon Valley. Um, the, um, uh, the, the, the startups where get in, get out, get fast, raise a lot of money, everyone gets their fees, that's going to die. And I think that only benefits companies like ours. And so I think we'll benefit long-term with that. This has been fascinating. I'm going to be paying more attention to the vending machines that I encounter uh, wherever I may be. And I'm going to just assume that most of them will be manufactured by Signify. And, and we want to be kept up to date on when you ship and get your system running in um, Africa. Yeah. Yes, please. Uh, I think that's a story in itself, Alan. It, it, it does sound like a major game changer. So, uh, yes, we'll uh, maybe circle around later and talk about it further. Okay. There's another episode of the Smart City Podcast. Thanks to Shamir and Peter from Signify Solutions for taking us on a tour of the future of vending machines. If you have any comments, send them through feedback at thesmartcity.blog. And check out the website, thesmartcity.blog. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless solutions. Executive producers, Grant Furlane. Technical productions by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.